0: listening to the podcast advertising playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello, and welcome to the podcast advertising playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And today on the show, I have Gabriel Soto. He is the senior director of research at Edison Research. Super excited to have him on the show. Welcome, Gabriel.
1: Thank you, Heather. Thanks for having me.
0: So now you've been with Edison Research for quite some time, but I'm, I'm curious what, how much of your time is spent really focusing on the podcast industry?
1: Yeah, half a decade, five years, uh, straight out of college. I started at Edison and I really started doing the music tests. So um, one thing that many people don't know is that we measure different songs and how people Rate them and how, how how many people like them in certain markets, and it helps the radio stations develop a, a playlist that you hear on the radio. So that's the first thing that interested me at Edison, and that's what I started with. I really got onto the the podcasting team when Tom was still at Edison, Tom Webster and my colleague Melissa Kishi, let's say in twenty nineteen. Now over time, as you can tell, with podcasting's big boom we've started to, sorry for the train, started to transfer a lot of our resources into this podcasting side of uh, our research at Edison. So now I would say that 80% of my time goes to podcast research versus maybe five years ago when it was 10%.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing. I think that that's awesome that you get to dedicate so much of your time to podcasts. And um, for those listening who are unfamiliar, Edison Research, in my opinion, really has done just some groundbreaking research for the podcast industry that, you know, obviously there's there's more research now um, that's being done. But I think what's so cool about Edison is that you have dedicated so many years of research. And so it's, you know, being able to see trends and being able to see growth is really pretty fascinating. So it seems like a, a lot of fun, I would think, to be able to focus in on podcasting. I know I just mentioned, obviously, that there are these reports that you've been doing that you've got all of this historical data on to compare to. Can you just kind of give us um, an overview about some of the work around podcasting that you guys have done at Edison?
1: Yeah. Um, it all started with the Infinite Dial. So the Infinite Dial has been going on since 1998, nationally representative survey of Americans to older than 12. And it measures. For example, how many people own a smartphone? How many people own a smart speaker? But also different listening behaviors to different platforms such as radio, even online radio, podcasts, and audiobooks. And we started measuring podcasts, at least how many people have heard of one in 2006. And then as the industry started to get bigger, we got into more, I guess, specific metrics such as have you listened to podcasts in the last month? Have you listened to a podcast in the last week? And that was really the first step into measuring the podcasting space. We also now do a study called Edison Podcast Metrics, which allows us to analyze the different behaviors of weekly podcast listeners, the top shows that weekly podcast listeners in the country listen to, the top genres, where they listen, what they think about different advertisements and even lifestyle questions such as what's your favorite sport, right? When do you plan on working on a home development project? So different lifestyle questions that are relevant to different advertisers and, and agencies. And we also have a, a bunch of other studies uh, such as the super listeners, which focuses in more on the listeners who listen to podcasts more frequently. And then the Latino and Black Podcast Listener Report, which focus drills in on the audience uh that you don't often get to see on the on like the bigger, more holistic studies like Edison Podcast Metrics, and when we release information of the overall audience. So we kind of want to shine a spotlight on those listeners as well. And those studies help us do that.
0: And, you know, I've been really kind of fascinated over the last couple of years at how much you have branched out. So it's like you've got these core studies like the Infinite Dial that you've obviously been mm-hmm. doing for many, many years. and you have the podcast Metrics Report, which I think you've been doing that one for several years as well.
1: Since 2019.
0: Since 2019. Okay. Yep. But then you've been branching out, like you said, doing... You know, these different specific segments and even countries, right? I know you guys do a research study in Canada and yes. is it Australia, right? Canada, Australia, Australia and Europe?
1: The maybe? UK. Okay, yep, the UK. The UK.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I just think that there's there's so much rich information. Um, the question with all information and all research, I think that most people have, especially who aren't in the research, you know, industry or field, is okay, we've got this data, we've got this information, like now what do we do with it? How do we actually apply it? And so, you know, from your perspective, as somebody who's, you know, really entrenched in all of this data, how can somebody take it and digest it and apply it to their everyday, you know, kind of work experience?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it really depends on what you are looking to do, what your goal is in the podcasting field. There's obviously a lot of data on the audience and their listening behavior, which can help you build a strategy. For example, you can take information on where listeners are consuming podcasts, and we know that the majority consume podcasts at home. So this can help you build you know, content that might be more relevant to someone who's listening at home versus in the car or help you find ways of advertising your podcast on home media or social media. And then there's a a lot of like monetization-based data, such as what listeners prefer, whether it's host-read ads or announcer ads, right? And of course, the answer, as we all know, is host-read ads. Another thing that is very important is to get that information on your audience. So you have the benchmarks with our different studies, such as uh, EPM or super listeners, Um, if If you don't have that on your audience, then you won't know exactly, specifically what your audience likes because it could be completely different to what the holistic view is. And knowing how that relates to the overall podcast listener, let's say your audience likes to listen in the car rather than at home, that's going to help you build a different strategy. So it's also knowing and getting insights on your audience, I think is what's super important to do.
0: Yeah, I am so glad you said that because I think that a lot of podcasters don't survey their listeners. And while we do have bits of information on, you know, different platforms like your hosting platform and through Apple and through Spotify, which, you know, I mean, that data is terrific. And I'm not saying you shouldn't look at it. You should. But I do think actually surveying your audience is a, a really important thing to do. And it allows you to kind of dig a little bit deeper into topics that you aren't going to be able to really you know, get from those other you know, platforms that are just going to auto-generate information. Um, do you feel like there are specific questions that podcasters should include on surveys? Or have you ever seen a survey where you're like, man, this was really put together well? Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, that's funny that you say that because we do have a template on edisonresearch.com that puts together the top 25 questions that you should ask in a listener survey.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. I have to check that out.
1: <laughs> yeah, check it out. It's uh, It's got a lot of information, you know, and, and more than just what we ask in our studies, you should get into uh, how long, you know, your listeners have been listening to your podcast because a person who might be a more veteran listener who's listening for three years versus a more recent listener could have different opinions, right, on on your show. So it's that's, I think, a very important question to ask. How long have you been listening to this show, X show? But also how they would rate certain episodes, because these are your listeners and they know the episodes that you've put out. What do they think about different Um, sections of your episodes if you have different like an introduction if you have you know maybe a story at the end or or a news section of your podcast that you like to put up front things like that different sections of your podcast
0: that's that's very that's very cool I don't I feel like that is such a good question like how long have you been listening to a podcast or the podcast because I think that you're really spot on that that one question is going to dictate all of the answers.
1: And there's also a lot of demographic questions, right, that can dictate. Um, you'll see a lot of correlation between maybe the women feel a little bit different than the men on a certain topic. Age is going to be a big factor as well. So I think that goes without saying that you should be also asking demographic questions or right, mm-hmm. gaining some insights on demographics of your, of your listeners, ethnicity, where they work, or if they work at all. And maybe even income level, right? Those are mm-hmm. the basic demographics that we ask in all our surveys, and they most of the time they're some of the, the biggest variables into what goes into their responses in different projects. You know, not just in podcasting, but in politics, right? Of course, as you know, um, and in other fields. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that it it is super important, and I think one of the one of the things that I've seen. That I find really fascinating is that if you're relying on Apple, Spotify and your hosting platform to give you your your kind of listener information, the challenge with that is that somebody who listens on Spotify, just by the nature of the fact that they're listening on Spotify, is going to give you a skewed view of who your audience is because that audience is different than somebody that listens on Apple, that maybe is somebody that's different than listens on their computer. Um, you know, or on another app. So I feel like you, by doing a listener survey, it gives you a better kind of general overarching picture. So would you agree with that?
1: Uh, Absolutely. And we know from our data, national surveys that we've conducted that Spotify users are by far a lot younger than Apple users or Amazon Music users, right? Amazon Music users are more likely to own a smart speaker too. So there are these different variables that go into people who use different platforms. So you're absolutely right on that. And yeah, listener survey is a great way to supplement the data that you do receive on something like Chartable, right? Or pod sites or or different other, or any other insights that you get from your hosting platforms or online platforms like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that it is really interesting, you know, just to consider where the listeners are, like where they're coming from and For you as a podcaster to really understand your audience is so important. But on the flip side, for the advertiser, it's also really important for them to understand the audience that they're advertising to. So anything that we can do to get that information, I think, is really important. One question that I get from podcasters that I do have a hard time answering, not being a statistician myself, (laughs) is how many responses. Do you really need to get from a survey in order for it to be valid information? Because, you know, I'm always encouraging the hosts that we work with to incentivize their audience to complete the survey, right? Like, could you give an Amazon gift card? If you do coaching, could you give like a free hour of coaching or whatever it is, right? Like, give them something to entice them to fill the survey out. But is there a place where you're like, well, gosh, you got 20 responses. I'm not sure that that's really valid data. Um, do you feel like there's a number there or percentage of audience that makes sense?
1: Absolutely. Um, industry standard, when we conduct listener surveys for our clients, um, we like to stick above 400. So okay. um, 400 respondents are higher. Rule of thumb, anything below 100, you might want to take with a grain of salt. You, you can't be as confident in that sample size in those responses if mm-hmm. it's lower than 100. But Then again, you got to take what you can get. If it's above fifty, you can even take a look at it. You know, take consider it qualitative information that you're getting from these responses. Don't bet your life savings on a on a certain response with a sample of between fifty and one hundred. But even then, you can you know at least look at the data and see if you can use other evidence that you've gotten from other areas, maybe like on social media or what you know about your audience so far to make a decision. But yeah, ideal 400 and above. Stick to looking at information with the sample size of 100 plus and anything below that take it with a grain of salt.
0: Great. That's that's wonderful feedback. Um, And would you say, is there a certain time period that you need to get those responses in? Like, let's say if you were a host and you're like, I'm going to run a listener survey. And maybe instead of just hitting my audience over the head with it for, you know, a two or three week period, I'm going to say the first week of every month I'm going to put out announcements that that I want you to complete this listener survey and I'm going to do it for 6 months or 12 months you know so that maybe I get 20 a month right or whatever like so that I'm collecting them over a period of time would that help or do you feel like that um does that skew the data if you get it over a longer period of time
1: it it depends you know it's more of a function of how many episodes you have and how things have changed so ideally you would want um a survey to not run for an entire year because uh, mm-hmm. the way the people at the beginning on the front end of those respondents they might have a different view things might have changed within a year you know society could have changed within a year there could be a new pandemic right that would have affected the responses or yeah. or even just your episode the content that you're yeah. that you have has changed throughout the year so ideally mm-hmm. um not a year, but within like a, a three-month period, depending on how frequently you release mm-hmm. your episodes. Um, mm-hmm. You just have to take into consideration if you do an, a survey for a year that you you know in the analysis that this was a year-long survey. So things could have changed, right?
0: Right. That's a good point. I have always usually recommended that people run it for a month because I also do think that there's listener burnout, right? Like you don't want to be like, oh my gosh, please stop asking me that.
1: Yeah, there you your go. Too, you don't but, you don't want to harass your listeners. Right. Um with with these. And that's probably more important than the than the survey itself.
0: Right. You don't want to bother them so much that they're like, I'm gonna stop listening to the show because I'm tired of exactly. hearing about your survey. <laughs> <laughs> um so I wanted to just touch a little bit on the super listener study. I know that you put that together with the ad results, and um, it sounds like there was a lot of great evidence or research in there just around podcast advertising in general. And because on the show, we really like to focus on podcast advertising. Just curious, were there any elements of that study that really stood out to you as either maybe something that was surprising to you or maybe really just emphasized, a, you know, a point that you had already known to be true. Um, what were your thoughts from that study?
1: Yes. And I'll highlight a data point that I mentioned in my keynote at Podcast Movement. And it was, um, I used my family members as different analogies for uh, the, the opportunities that existed in podcasting. And in this opportunity, I, I compared my older brothers. So you can follow In the footsteps of your older brothers or sometimes you can avoid the mistakes that your older brothers have made right so the two good reasons for having older siblings and i have four four older siblings and so i compared radio and podcasting as that relationship so you have radio as an older sibling to podcasting and in that study we saw an increase of those respondents podcast super listeners um, we're saying that they are finding podcasts to have way too many ads compared to three years ago. And that has always been, um, I guess, the case for radio listeners. When we asked this question three years ago, there was a, a high mark about around 30%, 35% of these listeners were saying that there were way too many ads on radio. And it was only about 10% for podcasts. Now, today, it's it's relatively close. It's pushing up to, to radio and to what it is for TV. So the point that I want to make is that you need to be careful with uh, spot loading and overloading your podcast with different ads because it's starting to uh, resemble what radio is right now to many podcast listeners. And I think it's, it's a warning, um, but also an opportunity to avoid that path that radio took.
0: So now I I totally hear what you're saying. I thought, and you please correct me because you know the number, I'm sure. I thought that it was around like 30, I want to say 30 or 38% of the respondents said that they felt like the ad load was too heavy in podcasts. Was that the case?
1: Yes. Around a third of these super listeners are saying that there are way too many ads in podcasts. And now that might not seem a lot, and it, is, it isn't, right? When you compare it to 70% of people that say that there aren't way too many ads on podcasts. But when you compare it to other mediums that these listeners are comparing it to, like radio, it's it's around that same mark, right? Three years ago, that wasn't the case. Three years ago, it was around 10%. And with that increase and getting, getting it closer to radio and TV, it just goes to show that podcasting isn't seen as this... Uh, this safe haven from ads that people once thought it was people are thinking yeah. that, that you're starting to recognize the advertising on podcasts.
0: I mean, and I think you're right. I think that it is like that's a really good warning to the industry as as a whole. I also think that it's, it's really important for the podcaster to understand. Um, you know, we certainly have shows that we work with that are just like man, just put as many ads in there as you can get. And Mm -hmm. what I try to express to them is that it really does impact your audience in a negative way. So it's impacting your audience in a negative way. And it's also really just impacting the overall quality of the content that you're producing. And I I know that the desire, of course, is to monetize in a big way. And depending on the type of podcast you're creating, it may be a very labor-intensive job for yourself to put together this podcast. And I understand that as a a content creator, you deserve to be paid. And, you know, people are listening to your podcast for, you know, quote unquote, free. So they should just kind of put up with it. But there is a line where there are, are the right number of ads and where there are too many ads. And I don't I don't know as an industry if we've come up with any real standards, at least not that I've seen. I know that at True Native Media, we've created some standards, and when we have shows come on board for representation, um, we used to ask people, how many ads do you want? And it used to be, um, I would say, that most podcasters would say, oh, well, I don't know how many you think I should have, or, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, I want, like, no more than two. And and sometimes, like, if we are working with a show that says they only want one, we're like, well, gosh, at the end of the day, is that worth our effort if we're just going to sell one ad into your show? So there's Mm -hmm. a balance in all of that. Um, But I find today that more often podcasters are coming to us and saying things like, oh, well, we want six or seven ads in the show. And we're having to say, your show's 20 minutes long. Like, Mm -hmm. that's too much. Like, you can't put that many ads in a show that's that short or else you're going to have listener fatigue. So we're really kind of having to make stronger recommendations to our hosts about it because it is really important. I'm curious, I don't know if this if the survey addressed this at all, but is there a different fatigue level with host red ads as compared to announcer red ads?
1: That's a really great question. There's probably a way to analyze that by looking at people who do prefer host red ads versus other types of ads. I would Bet money that yes, of course, host red ads are going people who prefer those types of ads or who listen to those types of ads are going to um be less fatigued because many of the times those recommendations or those types of advertisements can be creative and really entertaining and can seem more of a, a, a like when you're when you're listening to this host, it could be like a family member or a friend giving you a recommendation right. Or like for example, I listen to a fishing podcast, and the way they put in the advertisement for different baits and like equipment for fishing is by ranking them and talking about them, giving a review at the end of the show, and that's an advertisement within itself. But it's part of the show, and I gained a little bit from it because the latest episode that I listened to was top favorite baits for the fall, and it it, it works perfectly with their advertiser because it's a warehouse that sells all types of baits. It's not just one specific product that they're trying to recommend. They're a warehouse that allows you to put all these baits together. And I think when you listen to advertisements like that, you're going to find that your audience is less fatigued.
0: Yeah, I totally agree 100%. And I also think that for me, Part of it is how the ads are placed within the episodes. If they're distributed out, I feel like they bother me less than if there's like a big chunk of them where you have like maybe four ads back to back, I think is too many. Um, But I also think there's a balancing act between... I'm listening, I'm into the content, and then there's an ad break. I'm listening, I'm into the content, then there's an ad break. I'm listening into the content, and then there's an ad break, right? So mm-hmm. there is a balancing act. And I think that one of the things we don't have as much of in podcasting, especially independent podcasting, of course, is a producer, right? Like radio has someone who's there. That's kind of like the master architect of like what we're producing, when we're going to play songs, when we're going to do ad breaks, and a lot of podcasters, because they're amateurs, they don't really know anything about you know what they're doing. They just know about their topic. I don't know that they always spend enough time really thinking about the architecture of their overall show. Um, Do you find that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think uh, you run into those types of podcasts where people are just looking to make some money, and I think that's something that podcasters should consider even if you're working in programmatic right if you're if you're inserting these ads carelessly you're going to run into a lot of trouble for your show and i think even for the industry as a whole uh, even Mm -hmm. people that are doing it at the top level i've run into that and definitely have heard shows where the advertisement experience isn't as good as it could be right Right. yeah
0: yeah for sure um, before we move on, anything else in that super listener um, study that that stood out to you?
1: Overall, I think just to characterize uh, the big theme of the, the study is that podcasters. Uh, yes, there is a, a warning that podcast listeners want to get away from ads and that they're starting to recognize ads on podcasts compared with other medium. But it's still a great medium to listen to, right? People still trust podcast advertisements more than they do radio or TV advertisements because they are so personable. Mm -hmm. So in the long run, there's still that bright side. And there's still a lot of positive to get from, you know, from this survey. Uh, It's just that there's a few, few warnings out there that people should consider when advertising and inserting different ads into their shows.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And that I think that's a really great summary. It's still really a terrific medium. It works really well. And there's a level of connection with the host and the audience that I think makes it more personable, especially when you have those host-read ads. But we, you know, like you said, there's that warning that we need to be careful not to overload the content. So I I think that's super important. So I wanted to touch a little bit on podcast listenership just overall. Um, I know it's something that you have highlighted in the Infinite Dial study for many years. And, you know, when we talk about audience growth in particular as an industry, I find that there can be a level of confusion sometimes about how do I grow my audience? And one of the things that I always recommend for people is for them to look within the podcast space, right? The the idea that podcast listeners listen to podcasts and um, it's not that you can't grow an audience by getting out in front of, you know, people in other in other ways through social media, through your newsletter, you know, through all kinds of different channels. There are options out there. But one of the things that I find really fascinating, and when I say it, I feel like people get a little bit shocked by it. Um, and that is that really at the end of the day, only about 30 to maybe 40 percent of the population are actively listening to podcasts. And, you know, I think um, I I just pulled some of the numbers out because I think they're really fascinating. So from the most recent Infinite Dial study, um, it said that 79% of the U.S. population was aware of podcasts, right? So awareness continues to increase year over year, and it has for many years, which is great. Um, 62% of the U.S. population have ever listened to a podcast. So, you know, we know that, that people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've listened to a podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. And then 41 percent of the U.S. population have listened to a podcast this month. But then only 26 percent of the U.S. population have have listened to a podcast this last week. And that actually dropped down from 28 percent in 2021. So I am not here to say that I think podcast <laughs> is is headed in the wrong direction. But I do think that as an industry, sometimes we miss that really important piece that really only about 26 percent, you know, a quarter of the population is actively listening to podcasts. And in my opinion, part of the reason is that it is a medium that isn't for everyone. I love audio. I like audio books. I like podcasts. You know, give me a good audio, something to listen to, and I will listen to people talk to me all day, even over listening to music. Um, I love reading actual physical books, but I don't really have the time to do that very often. and so for me, it's my jam, right? It's like what I like. But when I talk to friends and family, so often people are like, "Ah, oh, I don't know, even my dad was so funny, he was part of this men's <laughs> group that he was supposed to listen to podcast for you know their meeting, and he's like. I hated it. I hate podcasts. I'm like, I'm the
1: podcast industry here. Like,
0: let's be supportive. That happens but- to me
1: too. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Girlfriend, it took me a while to convince her. Right. To listen right. To and podcasts. part of it <laughs> is
0: it's part of it is hitting on the right content. Like, right. Like when you find that yes. content where mm-hmm. you're like, oh yeah, I really like that. I'm going to listen to it. Um, but. I guess I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are about this number of actual podcast listeners and how that's kind of being represented in the industry.
1: That's a great point. And I love how you mentioned your dad, because what I believe is that there is a podcast for everyone. I think the biggest barrier to it, and this is why you see in many of our studies that older people under index on podcast listening, is because of the technology, right? Accessing it, knowing how to navigate Spotify, Apple Podcasts, knowing how to navigate your smartphone. My parents barely know how to text. Right. Uh, <laughs> so there's that, but there's also um people are happy. Like I think older people are happy with technology like the radio, right? It's easy to use and they're used to it. They grew up with it. Um so it, it's going to be hard to convince someone to switch platforms unless they do have that desire for on-demand content. I think there's a psychological barrier, that desire to listen to whatever and whenever you want to, right? I think with like a younger age group, especially Gen Z, especially millennials, uh, there's that desire to do that, right? We're we're used to accessing content on YouTube, on-demand, streaming. So it fits our, I guess, like MO perfectly. But there's also 26% of Americans listening to podcasts weekly. It's actually pretty high. Uh, if you compare that to uh, maybe something like Twitter, like I'm mm-hmm. looking at right now, 27% of Americans ever use Twitter. So people are listening to podcasts, just as many people are listening to podcasts as there are uh, people using Twitter. So I think I think that puts things in the perspective that there there is a, That's a lot of people, right? Over 100 million people that are listening to podcasts just on a monthly basis. Um, And I think we can also look to radio. Um, Like I said, look to your older brothers, your older siblings as a path to follow. And today, radio, we know from our share of your study that the majority, about 65, 68% of people listen to radio every day. And right now, podcasting is about 15%. So I think there's a a potential to go that high for future generations. What if podcasting becomes the new radio? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing that trend shift as radio listenership decreases and as podcasting increases. It might never get to that level based on how saturated you know the the media and entertainment spaces are. If You're competing with Netflix. You're competing with video games nowadays. When radio was just, I guess the uh, Competing with television when when television came to be, but I think you have to take that into account too. That um, podcasting has has boomed recently, and um, one dip throughout one year. Um, there's still a lot to to say. There's still a lot to be measured. Uh, you don't you don't know exactly what's going to happen, and it's coming off a year where most people were stuck at home. And experimenting with this new platform, and as we know, podcast listening occurs most often at home. So it was it was it was a perfect time for this inflation of podcasting to exist. And then, as people started leaving their houses, people started going into the car, commuting a little bit more. And you saw that that dip. That's one way to characterize it as well, where where you see overinflated podcast listening, and things start to correct a little bit. Uh, and maybe we're back on that on that train track of going up, continuing to increase.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that and that's that's a, a great explanation. And I totally agree with you. And that is I mean, it's really interesting in the Infinite Dial study, too, because it breaks down radio ownership, like how many people own radios. And, um, you know, obviously, like when you look at the younger population. It's really, I mean, they don't own nearly as many actual radios. Right. And I know we're in Florida and during the hurricane (laughs) that they just came through, there was like, like, oh, you know, you should have a radio. And I was like, oh, crap, we don't have a radio. (laughs) Like, you know, it's just so weird because we just we just don't listen to the radio unless we're in the car. Um, And even that really is pretty few and far between because we're usually either streaming podcasts or music when, you know, when we're doing that. Um, It has been very strange to me how much podcast listenership does happen at home. And I do, I work from home. I think a lot of people, you know, obviously, as the study shows, I think it was like in the 70-ish percent of people Mm -hmm. um, work from home. Um, So it does make sense, like, that you're going to listen more at home. I guess I've always really thought of podcasts as being more of that mobile medium, right, that you're going to listen while you're exercising or commuting or you know these things i know gosh when i first got into the podcast space back in 2016 like the connected car used to be talked about a lot and it seems like that's kind of gone out of vogue i don't really hear people talk about the connected mm-hmm. car too much anymore but you know it's just interesting to me to think about um where people are actually listening because i do think that that then plays into their buying behaviors right if you're if you're like on a train um, are you more likely or less likely to like get on your phone if you hear an ad for a product that you like and like actually buy it right there? Or like if you're at home, are you like, oh, I've got my computer right here and it's easier for me to go on and buy something on my computer instead of navigating on my smartphone? You know, when we look at buying behaviors, how how are those influenced by where someone is hearing your message? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: So I think it's about 75% of people who work outside the home. So it's about 20 who work at home 20% oh okay Americans. so i just yeah. totally
0: misread that <laughs>
1: <laughs> i think I that was really hit. high you reversed it yeah <laughs> um but i talked about this in, in my keynote as well i think there's an opportunity in the home and i use my friend tim whose last name is butts and we call him t booty um and i think there's a segment of listeners like my friend tim who who don't listen to podcasts because they would rather listen in the car but it's also more accessible to listen to the radio. So if there are ways to introduce podcasting in the car and make it the default option in, in you know, Apple CarPlay or different technologies, voice assistants that are going to help, I think you'll see podcasts listening increase in this country. The reason why I think at home is by far the location where um, podcast consumption is done is because it's filled a void. Like you said, there are people who are listening while they're, you know, going, doing things, um, being mobile. And it's not outside the home, though, it's inside the home. And we're seeing that people are listening because they're multitasking. It's filled this void. You couldn't, you can't really watch Netflix while you're cooking. You can't really watch Netflix while you're brushing your teeth, right? And, and focus on it and, and have your eyes in two places at once but you can listen to podcasts while you're cooking. Um, And I think we see that data in Edison podcast metrics among the people who listen at home. Cooking is is the most popular activity to do while listening. Now, a lot of people do listen while not doing anything else, um, but I think advertisers have to take that into consideration. It's actually not the computer people sitting down and listening to to, to the computer. It's actually the, the mobile device that trumps all of other devices in the home. And when you take that into consideration, you can build different campaigns around it. Right. Focus on people who are maybe cooking um, uh, while listening and then getting ready for bed, getting ready for the day things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why meal delivery companies have done so well, too, with podcast advertising. Right. Like if you're cooking yes. and <laughs> and you're like. Ah, I wish this were easier. And then suddenly you hear an ad for Yale Delivery Company. You're like, hey,
1: exactly. <laughs> maybe wait, I should wait a hat. minute. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot the up. <laughs> That's
0: right. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Gabriel, thank you so much. It's been so great chatting with you. And I really appreciate all of your insights. If someone wants to reach you, where is a good place for them to connect with you?
1: Yeah, you can reach me on Twitter, G Soto 7777. On LinkedIn, you can look me up, Gabriel Soto at Edison Research, Senior Director at Edison Research. Um, and check out all our free insights on edisonresearch.com. We do have an insights letter, a weekly insights letter. A lot of it is uh, podcasting insights, but we also have a lot of great insights into different forms of audio as well. Things that could be relevant to podcast creators and advertisers.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed having you on the show.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Heather, for the time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And thank you for listening. I hope that this episode has been interesting to you. I find all of this uh, just data and stats really fascinating. So I hope that you are able to use it in your podcast growth and advertising plans. And if you are interested in learning more about podcast advertising, you can head on over to truenativemedia.com and download our podcast advertising guide. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast to Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast to advertising industry.